You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You'll hear on this episode that Kara had some sound issues and technical difficulties, but we really loved our conversation with Carrie and we wanted to make sure to bring it to you as soon as we could. So please excuse any odd occurrences you might hear and know that we are back in full force with our next episode. All sound issues worked out. Thanks so much. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Mama's Talking Loud. I'm Kara Cooper. And I'm Jessica Rush. Kicking off Mental Health Awareness Month, we have an actress seen on Broadway in Mamma Mia and Avenue Q who became a psychotherapist. Knowing firsthand the intense anxiety and feelings of never being enough that are inherent parts of our industry, she created the Mindful Artist Series, giving people tangible tools to move through these emotions towards success and happiness. As we are entering a new phase of the pandemic, one that feels a little more like normalcy, she shares her wisdom and helps us process the PTSD of the last year, acknowledging the grief within the hope. Here is our conversation with Carrie Anderson. Carrie, welcome. welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, we're so happy to have you here to kick off our Mental Health Awareness Month, May. Um, mm-hmm. Something that is, goodness knows, we have all struggled with, oh, particularly in this last Ooh. year. And we will, mm-hmm. we will get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for everybody I... listening, Carrie showed up like professionally. You know, she's done. She's been working all day, and then there's Jess and I, like you know. <laughs> in our t-shirts. It's a, it's a, it's a stark contrast <laughs> that we're looking at on the screen right now. <laughs> well, it's not a prerequisite for a therapist to like put on a face and hair, but it, I think this is like some of the residue left over from being an actress for so many years <laughs> that I feel like this helps me to get in that headspace of being professional. So yeah, if that... I weren't working, believe me, my hair would be up in like a mom bun and I'd be wearing overalls. So <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> I've seen those overalls at the playground. I love it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Um, Carrie, will you tell us, uh, just like we start every episode, will you tell us about your daughter? Yes, I have an almost four and a half year old daughter named Nova Jean. Um, she is in pre-K right now. So we're still like doing the virtual thing. And she's this 
gorgeous, redheaded, spitfire child who I just feel like I'm constantly kind of behind her, like looking out for where she's going because she's just, she's one of those fierce spirited kids. So she keeps us certainly very busy. Yeah. No, she's definitely, she's a fiery redhead. I mean, she's, yes. I mean, yes. she's legit a fiery redhead. She's got. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, I've hung out with Nova. I mean, it's been a while. It was pre-pandemic, but at the playground yeah. in our neighborhood. So, and she definitely is full of life for sure. Yes. She's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's a fun, it's a fun age. I have an almost, well, he's telling everybody he's four and a half, four and a half. Exactly. Oh, he yes. turned four and a half five days ago. Oh, tells everybody sweet. that we see. Um, so yes. similar age, like every, at every turn, I feel like he's going to meet with disaster. Yes. Like we were at friends and somehow he landed on a gardening tool that was there. So he has this like gash in his butt and, but I'm like, how, how did your bottom find that? <laughs> the one spot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I know. I have more fear when it's been quiet for like 10 minutes, way more at four and a half than I did at like the toddler twos or whatever. Like yeah. this, I'm not sure what's going on when it's quiet, you know? Yeah. Because they have that independence. They can do some things, but they can't yeah. do everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right now there's a lot of curiosity about scissors, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of doll hair, things like that going on. Yep. The own hair might be next. Be yeah, I was going to say. We've been trying to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If she gets one more compliment about that gorgeous red hair, I have a feeling those scissors are going to just snip it off. <laughs> This is not my identity. <laughs> totally. I love it. Well, let's let's dive in. So obviously you were an actress prior to becoming a therapist. And yeah. let tell us about that journey. Tell us about was that always somewhere you thought you would land? Was it something that came up throughout your career? Yeah. Was it did you make the transition before or after you had Nova? Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, sure. Um, I was, I was sort of saying to you guys at the, you know, before we pressed record, it's kind of vulnerable for me to talk about myself like this because, ah, you know, when you move into therapist world, I do a lot of listening and I listen to a lot of other people's stories. And so I feel a little anxious, like jumping into my story and it's, it's, um, it's really cool for me to be feeling like I get to look back and see, oh yeah, this was like a part of my life that feels like so long ago, but honestly, I've been in private practice for about four years. Um, And I, you know, I was, I'm 43 now, and I moved to the city with Miss Elizabeth Stanley. We drove a U-Haul into the city in 2002, I believe. And we got an apartment in Astoria and we were like, we met in Summerstock. We were going to do this together. We were super ambitious. We hit the ground running. And um, within like three years, I somehow miraculously made my Broadway debut in Mamma Mia. And I played Sophie in Mamma Mia for almost four years. Whoa. Wow. I, I, um, that's my Broadway legacy of getting to play that role longer than anybody else. That's amazing. Um, it was so awesome. And then I left uh, Mamma Mia to do Avenue Q. And I was in the last, the sort of the last um, year that Avenue Q was on Broadway before they moved it back to off Broadway. I was Kate and Lucy in Avenue Q. Um, 
And it was like during that time, during that transition time, that I think, you know, finding success so early on in my career, it was almost this gift. It was like a painful gift um, of recognizing, oh, I thought all of these like really difficult, like inner critic issues I'm having, anxiety, um, how hard I was on myself, how I just constantly lived in that I'm not enough world a lot. I thought all that was going to go away when I got on Broadway. And so it was a super, you know, I, I got to Broadway when I was 27. And so. Um, and starring on Broadway, not in the ensemble. Starring, but, yeah. Yes, I did. I did do the tour for a year as the understudy of Sophie. So do you know I that had a I, little... was, I was on the, fr- I closed the first national on tour of Mamma no. Mia as the Sophie cover. Yeah. What? I didn't know that, <laughs> Yeah, Jess. 2004. I mean, it was literally a lifetime ago, but yeah. Oh my God. And I was on tour too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So in that process, you know, I, you know, some, just like a little bit of personal information. I was also, I got married and debuted on Broadway in the same week of my life. And that was crazy. That was all a part of this, like, I'm, I'm going to have this life. You know, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm going to have a career and I'm going to get married and I'm going to just like live this life. And it was all, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but it was all kind of preventing me from actually accessing some of the really deep kind of inner work that I think was in some way motivating my ambition of like, I got to be enough. I got to be enough. And when I get there, I'm going to be enough. And then you get there and you're like, oh, shit. Um, And so consequently, I, you know, I left Avenue Q. I got a divorce. So I had to go through all of that hard stuff. Hmm. And, and then I had to like kind of do it, you know, inside out where I started working regionally and I started doing that really hard, like going out of town, making very little money, trying to get my, you know, my health insurance weeks and, um, taking acting classes. And it, it, It wasn't until, you know, that stage when I, you know, realized, wow, the thing that was motivating me is kind of dissipating. And I lost that, that kind of drive. I lost that, like, that passion for it, you know? Um, And when I was in Mamma Mia, uh, for my 30th birthday present to myself, I got myself a therapist. And and I was encouraged by my dresser at the time. Um, She was like, I think you could really, you know, benefit from it. (laughs) Dressers basically are therapists, right? Exactly. (laughs) I was going to say, dressers know. Dressers are there with you. They hear all the things and they know. (laughs) Oh, yes. And she was the dresser of all of us Sophies. So we were all young and we were all, you know, there is a special, unique quality to a Sophie, I think, too, who kind of does have this sweet kind of self-doubt and vulnerability um, that comes along, I think, with the character. So I think, you know, looking back, like, I think some of my, my anxiety and some of my, you know, what I didn't know at the time was some mental health stuff going on served me because I think like that kind of nervous energy, that kind of self-doubt, those qualities are a part of why actresses, you know, I think it's part of why I did get cast as Sophie. You know, I remember this 
that I completely bombed my audition, but it was like how I handled my complete mm. mess up in the room that I was told was how I got like the callback because yeah. of those qualities. So I think, you know, um, For me, after, you know, stepping away from the big Broadway goal, the big Broadway dream and like really getting in the thick of what it means to be an artist, a professional artist in this business um, started to lose its luster for me. And what I found even in my acting classes um, that I was most interested in was the psychology of the characters that I was studying and learning about and really trying to fill in those those parts of the work. And, um, and as I said, you know, I, I started as a 30th birthday present to myself, I started therapy when I was 30. So that gave me a taste of this magical land of going in and learning about yourself and just filling in all of your own backstories and learning why I behave, you know, in certain ways that I do because of like, where I was raised and who I was raised by and all of these psychological pieces of information that just, I started getting really fascinated by and all the self-work and self-help books and all of that stuff became sort of my passion. And then theater, I, I lost the interest in the drive that's necessary, I think, to, to really like stay in it. Um, and so after, you know, I guess four years or so doing the regional theater circuit and doing all of that work, I really um, decided, hey, I think I want to go back to school and become a therapist, which felt like this really scary secret to have. I remember sharing it with my therapist in a session and being like, I have to tell you something. And I'm so afraid to tell you because you know every dark, like, insecurity of mine, but I think I really want to do this work. And she was super encouraging. And so that sort of, you know, set me off on my journey That's you of know, transitioning. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, it, the thing is, is that you say that and you talk about how scared you were to say it. And I think this is something we've talked about. I know Kara and I've talked about it personally off the podcast, but also this year, it's like the fear when you lose the drive or when you do find something else that fulfills you in a similar or even more so than what theater did and, um, or does. Yeah. And you start to have those thoughts. There's that part of you that's like, but who am I if I'm not pursuing my career as an actor? Who oh, am yeah. I if I'm not an actor? And then, and then if you're like, okay, well, it's okay to be something else, but there's the fear of giving up the thing you've struck, you know, your whole life you've worked to be yes. and, and you, and you always thought that was what the only thing you would be. And so I, it's terrifying. <laughs> and I think for any of us in the business, we recognize it, it took a village to get us, get us to New York, to get us to believe in our dreams. Usually there are a lot of parents contributing to voice lessons and helping us pay rent and helping like, fill in that $100 paycheck you're getting in summer stock so that you can go out and like have some groceries. So also that idea of letting down all of those people who had contributed to my dream was a big, big part for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like the pressure to just achieve that. Yeah. I, it's crazy to think about. I mean, I feel like there's, there are two things that popped out to me. I mean, one is you actively 
made the choice. The choice was in your power, right? So yeah. there's a lot of responsibility that's tied to that as well. So you have to deal with that on your own terms. And a lot of mothers who listen to this, sometimes the decision is made for you. Sometimes, regardless of whether or not you're a mother, sometimes the decision in our industry is made for oh, you. Yeah. You cannot get a job. Yeah. So your desire to continue to work maybe shifts towards something else because you have to pay your bills. You're getting, you know, yeah. you're becoming an adult and you're moving forward in your life. Um, but something when you were talking about um, that moment of getting to Broadway and like everything's going to be great, I so vividly remember being at NYU, walking down the street and just being like, when I get on Broadway, everything is just going to be great. Yes. It's just going to be great. My, my life is going to be perfect. Yes. And I remember like, to be honest, my first two shows, which were very short lived, I very much lived in that world. I was like, this is it. I'm doing it. I'm living the thing. My third show, I was a wreck. And I was like, this is not enough. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it wasn't enough. And I was like, what? what is going on? This used to be the thing. Like, it, this used to be the thing that made all the rest of the bad stuff go away. Yes. And that's when that, like, internal work started. Yes. So I think that, that what you mentioned is probably a journey a lot of people have gone through who listen to our podcast, you know, and because yeah. we've been at it for a while and we've gone through lots of different phases of life. Yeah. Um, and I want to dive into that because you have this mindful artist series yeah. about how you continue to be an artist, how you can feed that part of yourself, but also how it can affect other parts of your life and how you can have a healthy sense of self, a healthy yes. life that is fulfilling in all the ways, not just in that laser focused, I need to be a performer on Broadway and nothing else matters. Totally. <laughs> Yet we kind of have to be that way to get through those early stages, right? Like that's the yes. youth that's in a lot of our corners. Those of us who arrived right out of school or even right out of high school when mm -hmm. I'm doing this thing. But I think, you know, it highlights this understanding I know now of how we get somewhere defines what it's going to be like when we're there. And if I am getting there by telling myself, you're not enough yet, you're not enough yet, you're not enough. When I arrive there, guess what? I'm the queen of not being enough. <laughs> and so I I, that is like this difference between striving and like intention. I'm, I am enough now. What's in my way? What has me believing that I'm enough? I'm, every baby is born enough or enough at the beginning. So what are these things that I've learned along the way that I somehow made meaning that I wasn't enough? But instead, I know when I'm striving now and I'm getting better at catching myself on this, when, when there's an outcome attached to like being enough, if then, if I get on Broadway, then I'll be enough. That's when I know I'm hooked into some false sense of something. And I try and like snap, snap myself out of this. Like uh, Tara Brock, I don't know if you guys know who this woman is. She's an amazing mindfulness teacher. And she talks about the trance of unworthiness. And most of us are walking around in the trance of unworthiness most of the time, unless we are getting in there and like, disrupting these like stories that we're constantly telling ourselves about this, that, and whatever. And that like, that really ties into the mindful artist series, which is, has become my passion project. And it, um, it, it really is focusing on how 
so many training programs and so much of the training that we all go through in musical theater and any kind of performing arts, we're talking about technique, we're talking about voice technique, dance technique, whatever the craft is. No one's talking about healthy brain technique. No one's talking about these basic tools that you can do every day, just like a vocalese or something that help your brain to get healthier. And I, I just, when I was going through grad school, of course, I was going through the training with the lens of, a, of an actress and an actress who had spent a lot of her time basically in an unworthiness trance most of my career. And, and so I was taking all of these things I was learning and kind of sticking them in my back pocket thinking, oh my God, I wish I had known that. I wish I could have done that before I went into an audition to have disrupted the trance. And so... I, I sort of started developing this series of coping skills, series of psychoeducation about how the brain works, um, how to work with emotions in a, in a hopefully in a simplified way that I bring to training programs to do workshops so that they can learn some basic information about how the brain works, learn some basic information about how to you know, get out of fight, flight, or freeze. Like I'm, I'm showing you guys my hand because I use this as a brain sort of model that we're all walking around in fight, flight, or freeze all the time. And so we mm -hmm. want to figure out how to like bring ourselves back to a homeostasis that's calm or we can use our wise mind. And so I have really gotten super passionate about getting this information to our students before they get to New York. We, we got to like get these practice before you're like in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Once you're yeah, off. because it is hard to break. You can't, I mean, it's, I'm speaking as someone with experience in like everything you're saying right yeah. now. It's like, oh my God, that's totally. I, yeah. I wish someone, yeah, and, totally. Oh my God. And it's so hard to break out of that once you are entrenched in it. And it's so hard, especially like for me. I grew up in the Midwest and therapy wasn't something that was like talked about. People weren't just going to therapy. It was, it was certainly not, I kind of had to educate my parents on what therapy was going through it, mm -hmm. you know? And I wish someone had said, actually Carrie, that's anxiety. <laughs> no one was telling yeah. me that. So I just thought, oh, there's something wrong with me. What is this thing? And I just wish someone had given some names and some information to like the inherent, and we're not doing anything wrong if we're feeling anxiety. Like we're not doing anything wrong if we're having a hard time in this business. Like I think it's, it's especially pervasive with artists because we're natural storytellers, which is what the brain does is tells us a bunch of bullshit yeah. stories. And usually it, it, because it's all like based in the negativity bias, in the survival bias of the brain, we're always looking around for the threat. It's a threatening experience to show up to New York and have like thousands and thousands of people going for one job that instinctively gets you. It, it triggers the like, it's on baby, fight, flight or freeze. Like there's one fish I got to go on. I got to. And, and that's the fear. That's how fear is intelligent. But we, we want to be able to work with fear with a wise mind, not just be like reacting from fear. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I just, I'm, as you can hear, I really geek out about like providing this information for young kids because I wish I had had the, these techniques. Like I wish I had learned how to, how to manage super big nerves right before you go into a very important audition at Telsey. Yeah. Like, what's something I could do? 
that might help me. Yeah. I can't wait to find out. <laughs> you guys want you want it? Do you want a cu- you want a couple tips? Yes. Oh my yes, god. Please. Yes. So some some people some listeners might know about these like grounding exercises. You know the brain works in two modes. So there's the default mode network, and then there's the task positive uh, mode, the TPN and the DMN. And a psychiatrist that I work with calls the DMN the demon. Don't feed the demon. But 90% of the time, our brain is working in the DMN. And that's all storytelling. And because I think we're natural born storytellers, we're professional storytellers, our stories can really feel real, right? Like we will put a costume to it. We will give it some lighting, (laughs) a beautiful 11 o'clock number. Our stories, it's really hard for us to say, wait, I'm just going into an audition. I'm not like this whole story I'm telling myself about the audition is the problem. And Mm -hmm. our job also inherently asks us to be vulnerable, which is the brain's kryptonite. So these two truths about being a professional artist are like really working against us for mental health. And so in the DMN and the TPN, the TPN, the easiest way to flip into that is through our senses. So there are these exercises called grounding exercises that might be able to help you just flip the switch into being like right there where your two feet are. And a couple of them that I I share often in the Mindful Artist series is just like whatever room you're in right now, try and find all the red things in the room. Like literally go try and find them with your eyes. And there's, there's this way in which the brain kind of quiets down because even when we're talking our dmn is still actively like oh thinking about lunch or thinking about the things we got to do but then when you give the brain a job it calms down so looking for the red things looking for the blue things doing something like that before you go into an audition room um or you know breathing is great but for me when someone's like oh yeah just take some deep breaths zoop there goes my dmn you know, but if I can try and take in the same amount of air in my left nostril as my right nostril. It's a very specific task that's associated with senses that my brain then has a job to do and then it quiets down and then we can actually get in there and feel the anxiety or feel whatever the emotion is. And we metabolize it because emotions are just like any kind of energy like that, you know, you gotta, you gotta metabolize it for it to dissipate. You gotta feel it to free it is something my therapist says, you know, but when we're in the trance, when the DMN, it's actually trying to keep us from feeling those things. It's telling us a story about this thing because it's trying to keep us safe because it finds these feelings are very scary and threatening. And that just is like, it's, it's a terrible human dilemma that we all walk around with, with this brain trying to keep us from actually metabolizing the things that will make us feel better if we just get in there and feel it. You know, mm-hmm. the stories are relative to what we're unwilling to feel in our bodies. So working with this stuff is sort of where I try and orient the students in the Mindful Artist series. And, and I've, I've just seen their minds be blown. My mind would have been blown. <laughs> I wish I hadn't learned that when I was 35, 36. (laughs) I feel like it's a, I mean, for lack of a better term, a no brainer. I'm thinking in terms of, I don't (laughs) know, (laughs) no pun intended, but I'm thinking my, my brother was a competitive swimmer in high school and then in college. And they always did something called land training. And it was, it was all about their minds. 
they always yes. worked on their minds before they even got in the water because it was part of that like competition and how you deal with your anxiety, how you deal with your adrenaline, all that. And they were given tools to be able to handle this high pressure situation that they were putting themselves in. So why in the world wouldn't these colleges prepare us for that or these programs or whatever it is, you take a course on something, why not prepare your mind for this world you're about to enter that is so unbelievably intimidating? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's like, instead of, because I'll tell you what most people do when you talk about having anxiety before you go to an audition or like, how do y'all, what do y'all do? They're like, beta blockers. (laughs) Hot tip, everybody. Kara knew. Kara knew it was coming. That's what people, because that's, that's literally the only tool I've ever heard about. Like when you get, when you have a really, you know, because I mean, some of it, you get nervous just going into an initial audition, but then when you're up for, you know a lead role, the starring role, and you walk in that room. And you're room, 22. And 20. Yes. Well, yeah. And you're 22 for sure. I mean, hell, when you're 40, you know, it's like, <laughs> still, but like you, you walk in that room and there are 20 people behind the table, casting, producers, director, money, choreographers, everyone. And the pressure <laughs> is just, you know, everything's riding on it. Yes. And that's the demon, right? Like telling you like your happiness is riding on this. Yes. Your success is riding on this moment, on these four minutes while you're in this room, you have to get it right Yes. for your goal to be accomplished. And that is intense. Yes, exactly. Like any good technique we do, we, yeah. we, we take these classes. We, we repeatedly do the technique over and over again. So it shows up for us when we are in those super high stress environments. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, that is something. I mean, that is people need to go. They need to go one thousand percent. This is a side note about beta blockers. I took them once and I hated it before my audition because oh. I felt like I was dead inside and I was like, "This is not who I am as a performer. This is not me." Yeah. So having something that that grounds me in myself and being able to bring that to the table without like deadening my spirit would be really, really useful. Yes. And just being able to say, this is anxiety. What does anxiety feel like? It feels like butterflies in my stomach. It feels like my cheeks are really hot. It feels like I have to run to the bathroom right now. Like this is what anxiety (laughs) feels like. That's so different than being in the story of that person is thinner than you. That person has the most perfect outfit on. It looks just like the costume of the character. Oh my God, she has real red hair. They'd have to give a wig to me. All that, that's the story that's taking us away from feeling the anxiety, which is the thing that we actually want to get in and dissipate. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. I'm here for this. I, know, I want to like too. shout it from the rooftops. <laughs> I'm going to tag all the college programs, yes. CCM, UM, like, Do come on it. y'all. Cause, cause you're giving them the rest of the tools. Give them these tools. They will be, it will help them immensely when the time comes because it really is. Um, Like I said, I, I mean, we laugh when I say at 40, it's helpful, but you still, you know, it's oh, God, still, yes. the pressure is immense no matter, I think at what point you are in your career and in your business. I remember, Patty Lapone just saying how like, you know, I always thought, oh, it must get easier once you get Tony Awards or once mm-hmm. you've been nominated or, or, you know, what, my God, if you're Patty Lapone, you know, it's like these people who are icons and she still has to, you know, audition and, and shit, you know, totally. it's like, what? It's like when she ends a job, she's still waiting. What's going to be the next thing? I got to hustle and get the next job. And these are people who are established. So then you think to yourself, my God, if she's having to do that, 
well, hell, how am I ever going to get totally. through this? Totally. And we think know? about her demons, she's probably like, this is the one where they're all going to find me out. This is the one where I'm <laughs> too old. Or this is the one. Like, we all have a demon. So I also think yeah. it's really helpful just to, there's nothing wrong with you. It's what's true about our brain. So like, right. no one is just like the pandemic. No one came away from this thing unscathed. Like, well, yeah. exact. That's a great. That's a great transition because I do. Well done, Carrie. Oh. It over. Yeah. <laughs> You're running a great no, interview. A, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. We definitely, we want to talk about the pandemic and I, and what we've all been through. And, but first off, I noticed in the beginning, and I, I would love for you to speak to this on Facebook, you started sharing three good things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm correct in saying that was at the, at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Yeah. Like that's something you did as a mechanism or as a coping technique. Can you talk to us about that? And then yeah, we'll totally. Um, the three good things practice is a gratitude practice and it came from, uh, a course I took in positive psychology that showed the benefits of practicing gratitude. It's, it's like probably the simplest thing we can do. It's a very simple thing, but it's not always easy, uh, especially during a pandemic when every day feels like a shit day. And um, what the research shows is because of the negativity bias, because our brain thinks its job is literally to just scan for bad things, and when bad things happen, our brain hangs onto it like Velcro. And then when good things happen, it slides right off like Teflon because it just doesn't think it's valuable information to hang on to. But that keeps increasing the DMN, right? So there is evidence behind practicing finding three good things at the end of your day, every day, simple, simple, simple things like my favorite song came up on my iTunes and I got to sit outside and eat my sandwich in the sun today. And my daughter went to bed at her bedtime, like something super <laughs> simple like that. But the act of recalling it is starting to uh, teach our brain again, how to look for the good things. Like when I think about my brain, we give our brains so much power, but when I think of our brains like a little puppy dog, it gives me way more understanding about how it, the training is needed and required. Like if, if our brain doesn't know to like 
not to, to, if our brain doesn't know that we're supposed to go outside and, and pee outside on the grass, it's just going to pee on the carpet. If our brain doesn't know it's, it's helpful to look for good things too, it's only going to just tell us all the bad things and, and keep us really safe by telling us the bad things. So that's a practice that I started. I, I think I took that class in like 2013 and it was like the thing I took away from that class of like, I'm doing this three good things. And I've been doing the three good things for a long time now, but I, something, something just like took hold of me the way I think about it. It's like, I think my, again, my residue of being an actress kind of kicked in at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, oh shit, all my clients are going through this and I'm going through this and this is scary. Like I gotta, I gotta hunker down through this kind of like, I was thinking of like a Christmas schedule, you know, when you're like, oh shit, we've got 20 shows in a row without a break. And you just kind of gotta, you gotta up your game to get through that. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I kind of, my instinct as a therapist kicked in there of like, you gotta, you gotta hold yourself accountable in some of these ways. And so bringing it to Facebook and doing it like out loud instead of in private was really cool. It was a really cool accountability tool for me. And a bunch of people started doing it with me on Facebook. And it was just awesome to see for me, like, it's true. The benefits of like, what, you know, what's the phrase, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So if you Mm. are practicing gratitude, that frontal lobe, that part of your brain beefs up. And that's what helps us kind of maintain when we're in fight, flight, or freeze. It helps us to stay present and, and hang with the fear because we're also like, we're holding it with, I guess with, um, yes, with gratitude, but yes, with like, I can do this and in fears here, but also good things are here and also friendship is here and also so you just kind of get bigger and bigger to help contain the fear and so the the three good things practice I did it for a a whole calendar year and then I now I do it like more sporadically but I miss it I miss like the accountability of it well and I have to say I really loved seeing it like every day I mean I I did not start my own I I will (laughs) say that I did not start my own but I did. I was inspired by it. I mean, I did think, oh, this is lovely that she does this. And it was, and it was also grounding for me. Like I have to say, you know, it's like, it it helped, you know, it helped through osmosis. Like it wasn't the same, but it, I did see your three things and think, oh, there are good things happening in her world. Yeah. Those are lovely, you know, and it helped to ground my, my. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good practice. It really is a big deal. I had been seeing a therapist prior to the pandemic who actually had me doing that exact practice at night. Oh, very cool. Um, Doing, she called it a gratitude journal, but you know, just basically writing down three things that you were grateful for. And I'll tell you what, I sure did let it go when the pandemic hit. I wasn't doing it. Yeah. Um, And it's funny because I feel like, and this kind of transitions us to the next topic, but you know, Things are, the world is coming back. We're getting back to something resembling normalcy. Um, And my husband is probably going to be going back to work at some point. He's in a show. So all of a sudden, I am 
looking back on this time and being like, oh my God, this was amazing. As horrible as it was, I'm going to cry. Like my family has had this unbelievable time together. And I like a sense of panic rose in me when I was like, oh God, like this is happening. It's actually going to happen. It's not happening tomorrow by any stretch. We have a ways to go. And this is part of me processing what that transition is going to be and moving toward us not having dinner together and us not having this kind of dual partnership we have a child care and things like that that we haven't had um and so I'm like ever Ever. we've never had it because either we both were working in shows or one of us was him and I was doing the caretaking when we had two children yes um and so I'm like golly it would have been really interesting had I been able to notice it in the moment a little bit more and I certainly had moments of being like this is amazing we are able to spend time together at the holidays. Oh my gosh. We've never, like you said, 20 shows in a row in zero time, trying to cram in all the holiday fun with our children as quickly and, and, and as finite a period of time as possible. Um, so I yeah. feel like it would be so useful for me to have had that, to be able to look back and really articulate it. But you know what? I'm going to start it right now because we've got however many months yes. until this transition is going to happen that I can really, um, hone in on the positivity and the things of this time that I want to hold on to and remember and not just attach such a negative um, cloud to this year yes. that is inherently there no matter what, because it's been It awful. sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really sucked. I think this it seems totally like a perfect sucked. time to pick up the practice again because of everything you're just saying. Because fear is going to spike again. All the anticipatory anxiety about going back in. All of this is coming back up again. Like all the ambiguous loss we were talking about and all the grief we were talking about at the beginning of the pandemic. We're on the other, we're bookending that with like, oh, oh my God. A a lot of other things are now ending and those things are coming back. So it's a, it's a grief process too. Yeah. That's what we wanted to go ahead, Jess. Yeah, no, we wanted to ask about that because I do feel like there's some PTSD with regard to just like how we all can handle this because there was the grief and it was so automatic. You know, I've spoken about this being in a show when the shutdown happened. I went home, you know, I sort of had a feeling that we would shut down for a minute, you know, and I remember taking it in at the end of that show on Wednesday night. But then on Thursday, you know, our shows didn't close. We just didn't go back to work. And we were taken out of that so quickly and it was like whiplash and um and have it be gone for so long and not know when it's coming back <laughs> it's just been it's been a really long hard year and um and yes we're thankful you know i'm like kara and them they never had all the time together like they did and with eric and elliot and i same here like the most time we'd ever had at this you know sitting down at the same table was like three weeks between jobs and 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 it's been lovely to be with our children and our and our spouses during this time but there was also people were sick myself my husband were sick our friend died it's like so much has happened in this time and it's still so heavy india's numbers are soaring you know there's all this stuff and I keep saying, as excited as I was to get the email from my company saying, let's have a Zoom and talk about when we're when we're coming back. You know, it's time. It's time to gather is literally what they wrote. You know, like it's time. And mm-hmm. I got really excited, but I also burst into tears. Yes, of relief, but also like there's part of me, too, that's terrified. Like it's too early. Oh, my God. 
we don't know what we're doing yet. We're going to go back and you know what I mean? There's just, there's so much. So are there any tools (laughs) as I wipe my tears away? um, Are there any tools? Because I do think that so many of us thought we'd just jump right back in and what this time has shown us, the extremes we had to go to, to get through this time, the lockdown, the isolation, not being with people, hell, wearing masks every time we go out, not being able to connect with people um, except for our eyes. You know, I mean, they're just basic human interaction that has been lost. And to now thrust us back into these spaces, we've talked in the Broadway community that we can't just go back, right? We can't go back to what it was before. I'm sure you're on, you're aware of yes. all this and with equity and social justice and yeah. things. And so there's that too. There's just so much I feel like to process in the return. Yeah. Is there any, is there anything you can tell us? <laughs> yes. Well, number one, talking about it. Number one, this, you know, um, because trauma really at its deepest meaning is severed belonging. And so to, to find belonging in the discomfort of this, especially in this artist community, this is a very unique trauma. This is a specific trauma to this particular population of people. And so making space for it to exist, you know, like we can be excited and we can be grieving. We can be motivated and we can feel like, what's the point? You know, Mm -hmm. like normalizing ambivalence at this time is so essential. But I think leaning in to the emotions and really getting clear again about like, what's the story I'm telling myself about going back to work versus what's what about going back to work, you know? And there's, there is a practice to, that I like because it is like a script. So it forces us in a way to stay with the emotions because emotions are like bills to pay. If we don't get in there and feel these things, exactly what's going on for you guys right now. Just like, maybe because we're in a therapeutic state, maybe like I just am <laughs> giving you guys off this energy of like, it's safe to cry here because it's what I do all day is sit in emotions with folks. But, um, you know, this, you got to feel this stuff. Like if you don't pay this bill, this bill's going to come in two or three years, this emotional bill, you know? So, so the fact that like emotions and difficult emotions have, they, we've not been able to hide from them. Like this pandemic has just been like, Hey, here they are. You're (laughs) stuck with this stuff and you're not going to be able to busy yourself by doing this, this, and this to keep yourself distracted from it. It's here. That's why all of us therapists have like wait lists. That's why it's like a huge time for mental health practitioners because there's so much of busy doing instead of busy being. And so this practice of being, this practice of normalizing this is huge. But, but a skill that I love is called RAIN. And it's an acronym. And the reason I, one of the reasons I like it is because, because it is a script, it kind of encourages us to stay a little bit longer and feel the things instead of just zipping off into the story. And so the R is to say, uh, to R is to recognize. I recognize I'm, I'm sad. And then the A is to allow it to be here. 
I allow the sadness to be here. There is space for this. And then the I is to investigate it. And this is, you know, more of like a somatic investigation, like the body, you know, with trauma, the body holds the trauma, not the brain. So this, this physical stuff that we, that the brain tries to keep us from feeling is where the trauma lives. So we, we got to get in there, especially those of us who haven't been moving our bodies too. It's good. I'm so curious to know what it's going to be like in some of those first rehearsals back where folks are moving their bodies and doing that choreography. What's going to come out? Oh, I just got chills. I'm going to cry because so much is held in our bodies. So to investigate, like, what does this feel like? Can I give it a color? What's it trying to say to me? Oh, it's saying I'm scared. You know, I, I'm going to miss Elliot. Elliot's going to really struggle. Like this is, so you're, you're picking up on the stories or you're picking up on that and you're allowing yourself just to get in there and get to know it and investigate it. And then through the investigation process, we get to the end, which is to nurture. So this is almost that spiritual kind of reparenting work where you can talk back to that emotion and you can nurture it by saying, hey, I got your back. We're going to get through this. I, I love you. You know, anything you do like to touch your, touch your cheek, put your hand on your heart, anything to access like the parasympathetic nervous system. Because with the DMN and the TPN, when we're in the trance of unworthiness, which is the DMN, and we snap back into being present, we also want to be really mindful about welcoming ourselves back, you know, welcoming ourselves back to who we really are and saying, oh, welcome back, sweetheart. I know that the fear, like, had you telling yourself a whole bunch of stories, but it's okay, I'm right here. And, and building that kind of relationship with ourselves in the way that we do as mamas. I mean, being I a mom has kidding. helped me so much. You just like talked about how I feel like I handle my kids when they're having trauma. Like, I know something hurts. You're, you know, it's, it's hard. You, you're sad about this. I understand. We talk about why they're sad and they're like, but it's okay. I got you. I got your back. Like, (sighs) yes, we need that too. We need those messages from ourselves. And then we, and then what we do is we send that message back up to our brain that it's safe to feel fear. It's safe to feel sadness. It's safe. And then we, we don't zip off and leave ourselves as much because we start to reprogram our brain that it's safe to feel things and that we've got it. And that's resilience. And it, it might be talking about it, might be doing that inner spiritual work, whatever it is, it's, it's not turning away from it. It's leaning into it. This is big stuff. It is hard, you know? And it takes a lot of self-compassion to say, this is hard this fucking sucks. This is part of being alive. May I be kind to myself through this? May I stay with myself through this? That is a self-compassion practice that also can help you just rewire your brain to stay. We, thank you. That like makes me realize like we have to actually believe when we say, great, I'm giving myself grace. Or when we tell each other, Give yourself grace, mama. You it's okay. Like this is, these are not normal times. We say that all the time. We need to actually. What does grace look like? A- what does grace look like? Right. This is like Brene Brown's mm-hmm. definition of trust that I love so much. Making the things that matter the most to us vulnerable to our actions. So like mm-hmm. the behavior, the action, like what does grace look like? What's that? What can I do? That's actionable. 
Mm-hmm. You mean Grace doesn't look like Anne Ryan King going, <laughs> we got Annie. <laughs> That's a little insider. That's a little Easter egg there for all you guys who are in the musical theater. Uh- <laughs> There's something about, though, this is such a side note. The guy with the huge wedgie who climbs up the flower escape. <laughs> yes. We watch that movie a lot uh, here. But when I think of that song, I think of that guy's wedgie. It's like so. Yeah. So- As he climbs the trellis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I'm glad we ended up. We laughed. This was good. Yes. Harry. Carrie, this was all just so I, we could keep going. Literally, I feel like we should have like a two parter of just talking about it. This was what you have said, the little you've given so much in a short amount of time with regard to helping us and our mental state through this time. And it's just, you know, it's um, we're so appreciative. Oh, my for gosh. Sure. And I have to say, just thank you so much for reaching out, like on a personal, really vulnerable talk about belonging. Like I came to the Broadway Mamas group after I'd left the business. Um, but Amy Justman invited me. It's like, I worked with Amy Justman and love her. And um, she said, this, this group is so magical. I think you could really like, you'd really love it. And there was a always, I've always felt kind of like, do I really belong? Cause I'm not doing eight shows a week anymore. So this was like super healing for me to feel like a really huge sense of belonging in the group too. And to, to like understand that we're artists forever. And if we get this, if, if we've been in this business, like it's with us, it informs everything we do. And so I just want to thank you guys for like reaching out and for having an interest in my transition. And um, it's just, it's really special to me too. So i I'm so grateful. I feel like I, I just want to get on that wait list that you talked about. <laughs> so we'll, when we get off, we'll talk about that. So stay here so we can chat about we'll it. Do an, we'll do an intake, Carol. We'll do an intake. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, Carrie. We're so glad you're Thank here. You Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Mama's Talkin' Loud. Special shout-outs to Rachel Spencer-Hewitt for our fabulous graphic, Kristen Anderson-Lopez, Bobby Lopez, and Justin Ward-Weber for our awesome theme song, our producers Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, and of course, the Broadway Podcast Network for bringing us to you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.